The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. And I had pitched this uh, as a screenplay uh, for hire. But as I was pitching, and this is around 2017 or so, no one was really interested in an original large budget story. Uh, At the time, Marvel ruled the world, and I I guess Marvel still kind of rules the world. And if they're going to spend a lot of money on on a movie, they want it to be a recognizable property. They want it to be big IP like Marvel, like Star Wars, or something like that. So I didn't get much traction in pitching this as a screenplay. So I put it aside for a year or two, but the idea stuck with me. And, and it's it's a really interesting process because I'll be there, you know, sitting down, playing video games, or sitting down, just lying in bed. And the story is building. I'm actively thinking about the story in my head. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Best-selling author and award-winning screenwriter, Dwayne Worrell, spoke to me about making the move from the writer's room to the cafe, the art and science of suspense, and his debut novel, Androne. Dwayne is an award-winning Marvel and Disney TV Plus producer, filmmaker, and novelist, whose writing credits include Marvel's Iron Fist, CBS's Fire Country, Amazon Studios The Wall, and the Disney Plus series National Treasure, among others. Duane also worked as a translator of Mandarin Chinese in Beijing for nearly a decade. His best-selling debut novel, Androne, is described as a near-future, highly cinematic, and propulsive story centered around a terrifying event called the 99, where all major military installations on Earth are eviscerated, heralding humanity's start of a war with an unknown enemy. Niels Aplev, director of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, called the book a crazy cool ride into the unknown. Androne reads like a high-end video game on steroids with a destiny of Shakespearean magnitude. Publishers Weekly wrote, Taut intrigue reels readers into a thrilling yet thoughtful narrative about the futility of war and the cost of doing the right thing. In this file, Dwayne and I discussed making the move from screenwriter to novelist during a WGA strike how he discovered theater after having his hoop dreams dashed. Why writing for TV is harder and easier than prose, the inspiration that went into his latest sci-fi thriller, our mutual love of Hans Zimmer soundtracks, hanging out with Shakespeare at Chili's, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. 
But don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. We're back once again on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by a very special guest. I have a TV writer, producer, and now a best-selling author, Dwayne Worrell is joining us today. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this today, man. Hi, Kelton. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Must be an exciting time for you. Of course, kind of interesting things happening in Hollywood that we can discuss. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about your your debut novel, which is really exciting to get into. And and yeah, what's what's the vibe over there? Uh, you're in LA, I take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as far as the novel goes, you know, it, it is really exciting to have my own novel is something that I've thought about for a very long time. I think even before I thought about screenwriting, I had always imagined having a book and having a novel and writing in the fiction form as, as opposed to screenplay form is where I started. And then I moved into screenplays and now I've sort of come back to writing uh, fiction. So it's been a long process and it's, it's really exciting. That's really cool that you kind of break into the fiction sci-fi you know we're, we're not calling it a, th- a thriller technically but um yeah how what, what what do you describe um and drone like you know obviously a little sci-fi kind of post-futuristic i don't even know if we're using that yeah. term anymore but like 20 minutes into the future and and definitely like utilizing some kind of rip from the headline stuff but yeah talk a little bit about um and i want to talk about more about the book uh kind of further down in the interview but how are you categorizing this kind of really interesting genre? It's interesting that you said thriller because there are a lot of elements of the thriller in the novel. Um, Even though it is science fiction, the story takes place because it's a drone story. It takes place in two locations. And while they're in Nevada, this is where the the, uh, pilots, the Androne pilots are, this element of the story is somewhat of a thriller. And then when he's piloting the drone and he's out in that location, uh, that element is a little more sci-fi. So it is, I would say, a uh, science fiction thriller uh, of a novel. So, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Well, yeah, I can't wait to talk about the inspiration behind it and all this fascinating tech stuff um, that you're tapping into. But, um, yeah, I am more interested in this superhero origin story of you the author filmmaker chinese interpreter actor and now novelist because you know you're a caribbean native who resettled in the u.s and i mean this is a fascinating story this is like um and i i have loved some of your work honestly i'm a big fan of iron fist definitely uh yeah, want to talk about this kind of like really interesting career that you've had and also this really interesting life, you know, as a, a world traveler and, and talk to us a little bit about kind of take us back a little bit. Just give us some Cliff's notes on how, how you got here. <laughs> so, yeah, I did start in Barbados um, and it was, you know, it's all I knew at the time. And my parents, they wanted a little more for me, though, 
Um, I had no desire, you know, as a 10 year old, you have no desire of becoming, you know, moving to the United States or anything. I was just, you know, a kid and my parents wanted a little more for me. So they brought, they, uh, brought me to Boston. We, uh, immigrated to Boston, um, when I was about 10 or 11. And when I first got to the United States, it was all about sports. I was on the basketball team, on the track team. Um, fiction, novel writing, and none of none of this that that stuff was the fault. I didn't like books. I hated books. Um, hated reading. So yeah, I did sports um, throughout high school and a little bit in college. Um, but once I got to college, I saw that the level of competition was a lot higher, and um, my my hopes and aspirations of being a professional basketball player uh, th- those went down the drain. And I was sort of lost for a little bit when I was in uh, college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I dabbled with computer science and astronomy. And eventually, through a a great teacher that I had, um, an English teacher, um, found my way to theater um, and English as my minor. I, I majored in theater and minored in English. And graduating in i was at georgia state university graduating with a theater major isn't going to proffer much work especially in that day and age so i traveled to china um of all places just it was just supposed to be for six months learned language a little bit because i had been studying somewhat in at in college but once i arrived in china i enjoyed being there so much and learning the language and culture so much that I, I stayed on for about eight years and um, really learned the language and started working as um, an interpreter over there. I should say, though, you mentioned acting. Most of my acting is in China because <laughs> I didn't really have any competition for the roles that were uh, coming my way. It was, you know, either I'm a, a diplomat from Africa or I'm a basketball player, and there really was no competition. I, I, I got every role that I went up for. So that was the um, the acting aspect of things. But to sort of close up on the story, um, while I was in China, I was always writing. You know, that was my, it was my passion, and I was writing almost as a hobby. And um, while I was there, I wrote a couple of screenplays. One was The Wall, the other was uh, a film called Operator. And I managed to sell both of those from uh, from Beijing. And in selling those, I, I found an agent, I found a manager, and they told me, you know, come on back to the United States. It'd be, it'll be easier to push your career if you were in Los Angeles. And that's what brought me here. And this is where I am now. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. 
The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Amazing. Such a cool story. It's so, so unique. Honestly, this is like, <clears throat> I've had some very, very unique stories recently, but this is like really cool um, <laughs> to think about because I can see some of it in, in some of the influences in your work. You know, I don't want to talk about it, but of course you have now written uh, for the Marvel franchises, CBS's Fire Country. You know, you did some Amazon streaming stuff, Disney Plus for that na uh, National Treasure franchise. Um, and you've talked a little bit about this kind of working within the, you know, other people's IP and of course, and, and how tricky that can be. Um, but you've, you've managed to not only do that, but to create your own IP now. And yeah, I, I mean, I can't wait to talk about Androne and all of the kind of influences therein. And, and of course the process and kind of some of the science that you've even written about, um, that goes into your writing, which seems very, very kind of next level stuff. And, and it's a cool, I think, teaching lesson in, in not only writing suspense for um, the screen, but also obviously now um, for this fantastic novel. So let's talk about Androne and um, yeah, kind of the cinematic piece that goes into it because it's, I, I don't think it's, you know, a lot of writers who are kind of hybrid will know this, but not, not every novelist uh, who's writing prose for the purpose of, uh, you know, getting published understands like the difference between screenwriting, which is very spare and kind of Zen. And then, and then of course, um, kind of how you are able to incorporate a more visual element to your prose writing your first novel. But yeah, talk a little bit about, I don't know, just making that transition. And then, you know, what, what prompted you to, or how long you've even been working on this uh, debut novel? It's it's interesting because this this uh, novel Androne it blends both of those worlds. I thought of it first as a screenplay, and I had actually written out a short pitch, and I had gone out to Warner Brothers and Paramount and those places, and I had pitched this uh, as a screenplay uh, for hire. But as I was pitching, and this is around 2017 or so, 2017 or 18 no one was really interested 
in the, in an original um, original large budget story. Uh, at the time, Marvel ruled the world, and I, I guess Marvel still kind of rules the world. And if they're going to spend a lot of money on a on a movie, they want it to be a recognizable property. They want it to be big IP, like yeah. Marvel, like Star Wars, or something like that. So I didn't get much traction in pitching this as a screenplay. So I put it aside for a year or two, but the idea stuck with me, and and it's. It's a really interesting process because I'll be there, you know, sitting down, playing video games or sitting down, just lying in bed. And the story is building. I'm actively thinking about the story in my head and not on purpose. It's just sort of naturally building itself out. And that means, you know, I'm still sort of obsessed with this idea. So I, I decided to, you know, put pen to paper and write it out. So that was sort of the transition from wanting it to be a screenplay to finding its its more natural form in the novel because I can really expound upon the character and side characters and the science of it and everything else. So um, I, I think it is in its better form here in, in novel form. Interesting. That's very cool. Well, obviously, um, it's had a great reception and, and congrats on that and that's got to feel pretty good i mean like what did you breathe a sigh of relief when it was finally out in the world and it was like oh yeah all right we we have something here <laughs> well actually there, there was more tension when it was out in the world um that's <laughs> when it really got tense because now people are, are reviewing it it's on goodreads it's on amazon yeah. and people are giving it one to five stars and there have been a few one stars that I've seen, not many, but um, now you're you're in the realm of where you're starting to get criticism on your on your work, and unlike seeing bad reviews on a TV show or a film, where as the writer you're also collaborating with a lot of other people, and the blame pie is sort of split in many different <laughs> ways, but with the novel. It's all on me. And, and fortunately, the, uh, the reviews have been mostly positive. But still, here and there, you get that one star um, from people who have... It's interesting. They'll have one gripe with the story, and it's one star. So it's, 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 been, it's, been, um, it's been fun, though. It, it has been great to have it out there in the world and, and watching it grow. Yeah. Isn't that always the case, though, with uh, like the hardcore sci-fi? set um and you learn that probably in your debut and as you said yeah the blame pie is shared in tv writing because you got a you've got a writer's room there and you've got a director and a dp and all these players so it can't you know it can't it can't land squarely on you right but yeah that's fascinating well congrats on the reception and of course i wanted to yeah do a couple quick um shout outs i thought it was cool that the director of the girl with the dragon tattoo and you'll have to say his name oh we can say his name niels niels oplevard and he's he's actually a great friend of mine um we've worked together before and we're still working together and i said hey niels um check out the novel um let me know what you think and he really enjoyed it and came back with a lot of um positive notes on it so yeah, I'm glad he 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 gave me a shot on it. 
No, it's super cool. Um, he called it a crazy cool ride into the unknown. And drone reads like a high-end video game on steroids with a destiny of Shakespearean magnitude. Described essentially as humanity's new war is an enigma and with an enemy threat beyond all imagination in this near-future novel of mind-blowing adventure where the fate of the world rests in the choices of one ordinary soldier. Um, I'm not doing it justice. We're not going to do a ton of spoilers here, but uh, I thought it was cool that Publishers Weekly had said, uh, taught intrigue reels readers into a thrilling yet thoughtful narrative about the futility of war and the cost of doing the right thing. And I want to talk, before we talk about the science of writing good suspense, which I got to pick your brain about before we leave here, yeah, just talk about some of the influences that went into this. And, you know, I, and also, again, that interesting distinction between uh, writing for the screen and writing prose. And yeah, how you, how you get pages, uh, you know, I, I, I'm assuming that at, at the moment, um, you're kind of, you know, just enjoying some quiet time to reflect. I know you're working on a follow-up to this one, but, um, yeah, you know, going back, going back to even Iron Fist, like I get that some of your influences are kind of Asian or East Asian, you know, like even going back to like some supernatural Kung Fu stuff, Asian sci-fi, obviously, uh, fantastic thrillers. Yeah. Give us, give us some of the, the juice there. Yeah. I think inspiration wise, the novel pulls from, interestingly enough, a lot of the, the cartoons I watched as a child, I was definitely influenced by video games as well. I, the idea of having this drone, this machine that is out there somewhere in the world in the day, you know, fighting the battle, fighting the war, and you are safely tucked in a cockpit. A lot of that came from some of the gaming that I've done. Um, Robotech is a game that I used to play with a similar idea where you get into these mechs and you're, you're out there and you're, um, you're fighting battles as well as some Japanese um, animation. As, as you may know, some of the, um, there is this ob obsession, not obsession, but uh, a fandom of uh, mech battles in Japanese culture, where you have these giant skyscraper-sized mech suits battling monsters. Now, androns aren't that big. Androns are NBA center size. They're about seven <laughs> feet, eight feet tall. Shack, shack uh, size. Yes, shack, yes, shack size um, machines. But it's a similar idea. Um, you are in that machine, and you are you're fighting the battle. So those were some of the inspirations that uh, sort of set up Andrew for me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, no, I got that. And I was trying to remember those Robotech uh, mechs and, and, and kind of being, you know, I wasn't upset as obsessed as some of my friends were, um, as, as youngsters, but, um, I just remember how cool those like really intricate, like model sets were and how people would just like, you know, yeah, I, I you know, I'm sure. And it's, it's completely different in, in Asia because, uh, of course there's a, as you mentioned, a, a different level of fandom, but yeah, talk, talk a little bit about, again, that transition from screen to page with, uh, prose and fiction and your first novel, some of the challenges that you ran up against, what kind of a process, because, you know, I know that so many TV and screenwriters have kind of this like workmanlike process, especially TV writers, because it's uh, very deadline driven. How did that translate to then you kind of having this like complete blank canvas with this infinite budget to do this uh, really cool novel? And that was part of the, the thinking in writing it as a novel was, Things like budget, things like actors, things that you would think about when writing a screenplay weren't weren't a worry at all in writing the novel. When you write for tell, when I write for television and shows like uh, Fire Country or Iron Fist, in my mind, in the back of my mind, the producer hat is on, and I know that we can only have five or six extras in this space because we can only afford five or six extras. Or I think about where to have um, the scene located because we can't afford to have it in this big, massive movie theater. Even though the movie theater may be a great location, it's probably better to hold it in a small cafe. So these are things that are spinning in my head while I'm writing for television. But with the novel, it was any place, anywhere, my mind is free to think about any of those um, things. And for the first part of writing the novel, it was just being able to write and not think about deadlines, not think about budget was great. Of course, once the novel got picked up uh, by the publisher, then deadlines came back into play. And then it became almost worse than the bu- the deadlines for a, uh, a screenplay or oh, a teleplay. No. <laughs> because in television, you're writing 45 pages because of commercial breaks um, worth of words to rewrite. But in a novel, it's 350 to 400 pages, and you got to go through and rewrite so, so much more. So it, 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 there's positives and negatives, I guess, to both in the writing process. But um there is something nice about writing the novel where you can really just wax poetically about uh, a character just sitting in the moonlight thinking about their life, while in the screenplay, it has to be very, very slim. It has to be very fit and trim and, and cut off all that fat. Um, so those are some of the, the major differences that I can think about in writing for the screen and writing for the novel. Yeah. 
100%. So talk about your process now. How has it evolved? Obviously, you've worked in some pretty um, hardcore writing rooms and uh, been a producer and editor. Uh, what what is you know how how what is the difference essentially so from going from that writing room where it's like very i would imagine somewhat more disciplined to okay you can hang out at a cafe you can just sit at home on your bed as so many writers have admitted to doing how has your process evolved now to getting into the the follow-up to this this uh hit novel well i think you know in the writer's room it's a very collaborative process it is um working with a showrunner and other writers. I think our writer's room for National Treasure has eight writers. Um, And we're constantly speaking to the locations managers and the actors as well. We have to communicate with them and we're on set with them and they'll have lines that they want you to change and you have to communicate with them and try to find some middle ground on on, um, the lines that they're saying. So it's you're always communicating and working with people. We work with Jerry Brockheimer Television. We work with CBS, and they're all great, and, and everyone's really, really kind. But still, there's going to be conflict, and, and you have to try to resolve those issues. Working on the novel is it's really, again, this is positive and negative. You are you're figuring it all out yourself, and that's, that's a good thing in some ways. You don't have to sort of um, you don't have to compromise some of your uh some of your wants and needs but in in a, in a in another sense it is very lonely as well it is all on you and some days you don't feel up to it some days you feel a bit stressed out when the deadlines are rolling up like right now as the deadline <laughs> <laughs> for this second uh novel is coming up very soon and you know that it's really stressful and you you really have to deal with all of that by yourself your agent is there and the editor is there and there i have great on, on either side, great agent, great editor. But still, you do feel that personal pressure of, I need to finish this, I need to figure this out. And, um, you know, it's you by yourself in a room, as opposed to being in a writer's room on a studio with 10 other people in and out of the offices. So it's it's really, really different process. Okay. Um, so you're hearing jerry bruckheimer's voice in your head while you're are you a cafe writer are you a um someone who likes to hang out and listen to like music what type of a writer are you how are you getting into the flow state Hmm. i prefer this is how i do it i'll tell you exactly how i do it again for tv we're in the we're in the writer's room when we write so everything is in those offices but for the novel um it's a mix of home and cafe. I start off at home and what happens is you get cramped up if you sit in one place for too long. So there is a Starbucks not far from my house. So I'll write for a few hours and then I'll, okay, it's time to get out of the house and move my body a little bit. So I'll get on my bike and I'll ride to the Starbucks, which is on my bike. It's less than five minutes away. And then I'll write in Starbucks for another three hours. And then I'll get on my bike, ride back home, and the last three hours are back at home. So at least I get some some sunlight. I know writers who are very pale because they don't there's no outside time for them. So I try to I try to mix it up between home, outside in the cafe, and then back at home. 
I see. It's a hybrid. Yep. Yeah. As that's it were. the best way to do it. Best way. To All do right. It. Uh, you, you cranking some tunes on the AirPods? Oh yes. Oh yes. It's interesting. So on the first draft, I can do that. On the first draft, I'm usually listening to epic soundtrack music, either from recently it's been the Batman, but I've also listened to some um, some Joker, some. So it's, it's interesting. It's a lot of superheroes, but I guess there are a lot of superhero movies out. Um, but I'm listening to some soundtrack with that sort of classical operatic sound. For me, I can't listen to music with lyrics. Lyrics mix me up as, a, as I'm writing. So it's always something that's instrumental with no lyrics. But in the second draft, I can't do that. I, I can't. It's a little too technical for me to sort of listen to music. So in the second draft, I still have the headphones on, ear can- uh, noise canceling, but no music. Interesting, that's cool. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of tracks with yeah, the creative process and, and finding um, Hans Zimmer uh, does mm-hmm. a lot of really, really yeah. amazing, obviously amazing stuff. I also like um, Atticus Finch and Trent Reznor. Okay. Oh, Trent Reznor. Okay, so Trent Reznor, Atticus Finch, they did, they've done a lot of uh, pretty pretty epic soundtracks, um, including The Social Network, but I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Pull up Trent Reznor, Atticus Finch, um, and those are good, but I mean, like so much ambient music is like that. It just kind of like powers your creative process because you don't have to think about it. It's kind of like on the background. But I want to talk about before we jump off, because I think what you're tapping into with that type of music is, of course, like the science behind kind of how how our brains work. And of course, you have uh, actually written about this is really cool, um, the art and science of good suspense. And so you're kind of, um, again, eliciting this hormonal response, right from readers. Ideally, you've talked about how you've applied this, (laughs) like, crowbar to your uh, cinematic and TV writing, but, uh, yeah, uh, this is very cool. And it was a piece that you did for writer's digest, I think, where you're talking about this chemical, chemical reaction elicited by great thrillers. Yeah. Just give us like, again, like a little primer here, because this is, this is really cool stuff. Uh, I probably could do a whole episode with you about it. I'd love to have you back, but, um, talk a little bit about what you are attempting to elicit with your, um, this p- particular brand of Dwayne Worrell uh, suspense. Yeah, I um, and that's that's it's really great that you brought brought that up because you know when Writers Digest reached out, I was very excited. And I've always loved suspense since I was a kid. I remember watching these TV shows or movies that now probably aren't that great, but. If I were to watch them now, I wouldn't think they were all that great. But still, the suspense (laughs) of, you know, someone going into the bedroom and them opening the door slowly, all these very simple tropes, I was, it it really, it got my heart pumping, it got my blood flowing. And as I was writing the article, I was thinking about what I watch and the games that I play, even the music that I listen to. And I myself, I'm a pretty calm, relaxed person. I don't. Now, I don't drive too fast or do anything too exciting. I can't jump out. I see people skydiving, any of that. I can't do any of that stuff. But when I write or when I watch television, I 
often tend to watch things that are going to give me that that emotional response, the endorphins popping off in my mind, the tension building up in, in my blood. And that's there is there is a science to that. And those are the things that I'm attracted to writing. So again, really surprised that I wrote this scientific article for this uh, Writer's Digest magazine. But um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to sort of also do research as I was writing to find out that a lot of these chemicals that are in these drugs, dopamine and serotonin, these are actually created naturally in the body and writing certain things um, or watching certain things uh, builds those things up. One thing that's very strange about me is that I rarely step out of these genres for things that I would watch. I rarely watch comedy. I rarely watch romance. There's certain genres that I rarely watch, and it's 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 not great. I should explore other genres more, but it's because I love suspense so much. I love science fiction and action so much that there kind of isn't time for a good comedy. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's me. <laughs> well, there's more content than ever. Yes. But and, and maybe you could just comment on this just as an aside. And, and But yeah, um, how are you feeling about the strike? I have a lot of feelings about the strike. It's really, really tough right now. It's re- it's The town is in a very bad state. And it's not just the writers. The studios are in a bla- bad place, too. And I think a lot of it has to do with streaming. A lot of it has to do with the fact that these studios are having having new challenges roll their way because of the streaming platforms and therefore therefore they're unwilling to share um, some of the profit with the with the talent the writers the actors and everyone else so even after the strike and who knows when the strike is going to be going to end it's one of the longest strikes it's over 140 days now that we've been on strike and the last strike for the writers was only 100 days. So it's, it's over a month longer than the, uh, the previous strike. And that's because there's a lot of new challenges. And most of them are technological. AI being one of the biggest and scariest parts of this strike. Because studios will want to use artificial intelligence to write scripts and then have a writer come in for a very small fee and polish them. And of course, there will be there will always be auteurs. The big names will survive, probably uh, the Martin Scorsese's, because a Martin Scorsese film will draw in an audience, or a Quentin Tarantino film will draw in an audience. Before the newer writers or the middle middle um, newer writers, directors, or the mid tier writers like myself, it could wipe us out. So it's a, it's a very scary time and. Um, and it all comes down to greed. That is the uh, the catalyst and the biggest problem that we have in this industry. And I think probably any industry, uh, greed w- is what's going to take over. So it's a really tough time in Hollywood right now. Very tough. Yeah, definitely feeling that for you guys. And um, yeah, ho- hopefully everything resolves. Well, thanks for expanding on that. We appreciate your uh, time, your words, your wisdom. I don't know if you have the time to answer a fun question because this has all been <laughs> just intense brain picking. I, but... love a, I love a fun question. All right. Here's a fun one for you. If you could have dinner 
with any author from any era to your favorite place for dinner, drinks, both. Who are we taking and where are we going? Okay. So I'm going to answer this. And I'm gonna, I, it's not a cheat, but it is. I'm going to tell you why it's this person. Now, a lot of people would say Shakespeare. And that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Shakespeare. A lot of people would say Shakespeare for different reasons. I'm going to say Shakespeare because I think it would be interesting to bring Shakespeare into the present day and let him see all the interesting technological revolutions of the time. Of course, I'm going to pick his brain, but I would love for Shakespeare to see the restaurant of the modern day and the televisions playing in the background and how they're being served. But I do also love William Shakespeare, and I, I think he's a, a very, very, um, I mean, he is to a degree a creator of the English language, the modern day language that we speak today. Around 1% of the words um, that we use and the phrases and everything else um, were created by William Shakespeare. Don't quote me on right. that 1%. It's probably <laughs> less than that. But I, I'm a big fan of William Shakespeare. I only worry he might be a little racist. I, I don't know if, if he is. Um, I don't know how he would react, but let's, let's hope he's, you know, he's ahead of his time. An open-minded Shakespeare. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to bring Shakespeare into the future, just like blow his mind. Um, where, where are we going? Oof, that's a good one. Definitely getting some drinks, right? We're definitely getting <laughs> drinks. I think that, um, and this is going to sound bad because I'm, I'm not a classy guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I would probably take him to Chili's and um, <laughs> we'd be sitting at the bar. I have a Chili's near me that um, it's run by these Boston. So I'm, you know, I'm originally from Boston and I'm a big Boston Celtics fan. So Shakespeare and I would be sitting at the bar watching the Celtics game and just talking about you know art and literature and where, where everything is has uh, been I, i'll i'll buy him a pina colada and uh <laughs> hope, he, hope he enjoys it okay i'd go for fries that's me fries. i'm pretty All simple right. fries but even i think fries to william shakespeare would be an adventure for him so <laughs> all right that's good i love it um we're gonna blow shakespeare's mind blow yeah the doors off um Dwayne, thanks so much for taking the time to do this i appreciate your your words, your wisdom, um, and just hanging out with us for a minute over time. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll mention the book again. Androne is a uh, fantastic new sci-fi adventure thriller that, um, of course, we can connect to your home base there. And then um, the book and, and the socials. But man, I appreciate you taking the time. Please come back. Please have me back. Thank you. Yeah, come on back. I appreciate it. Love to do a part two and uh yeah we'll, we'll get back at it but um in the meantime thank you again thank you kelton i appreciate it thanks so much for joining us for this file and if you're a fan of the show simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more that's writerfiles.fm 